Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, it was June 7th, 1776. Richard Henley Lee from Virginia presented to the Continental Congress a resolution that called for independence from Great Britain. And it quickly became clear that they needed a little bit more time before they voted on this. There were a few of the colonies that needed to get some more information, communicate more, truthfully just kind of make up their mind. And so in the meantime, before they made the decision to break from England, there was a committee that was put together that would draft a document that would communicate these thoughts in a broader way. Five individuals, Philip Livingston, Roger Sherman, odds are you've Maybe never heard of those two guys. How about John Adams? Have you ever heard of him? Benjamin Franklin? Have you ever heard of him? You ever seen him? Is he the one on the 100? I like him. I, I, like, I like Ben. And then the main architect, Thomas Jefferson, of this document. On July 1st, then, they took this document that they had put together and they presented it to the Continental Congress with language that has become so well-known in our nation We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, and understand that when they're saying this, they're putting a vision out there, right? They're communicating something, saying this this is who we are, this is what we believe. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Your American history teachers are so proud of you right now. And then on July 2nd, the Continental Congress came together and they took the vote to declare independence from Great Britain. And on that day, on July 2nd, 241 years ago today, the Continental Congress determined and voted on behalf of the colonies to declare independence from Great Britain. The vote took place on July 2nd. It was on July 4th that the document that we know as the Declaration of Independence was approved. John Adams, on July 3rd, wrote a letter to his wife that said, in this country, we will always celebrate July 2nd as the day we proclaimed our freedom. (laughs) Close, John, but not quite, right? But today's a momental day. Momental, that's a new word. You can write it down. Today is an important day. It's the day that freedom was declared. And the Declaration of Independence then, two days later, and the day that we remember that we celebrate. But what's so key about that is that our founding fathers had a vision. They looked out and said, this is what we want our nation to look like. This is what we want it to be. I think part of why so many people, so many families, if you study the American Revolution, interesting word, revolution, if you study that word, if you study that idea, the reason so many people were willing to take that step was because they said, I want to be a part of something that's bigger than I am. I want to be a part of something that's going to make a difference. I want to be a part of something that literally, as we look back on history, what happened that July, whatever day you want to call it, 1776, has changed the world. That's why we're studying the book of Acts. Because what happened in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born and went out into the world, that has literally changed the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2 today. We, we began right after Easter, a series where we are going to, for a while, be working our way through the book of Acts. Last week, we finished up where we were talking about the next big thing, about how God sent his Holy Spirit to the church, and it happened on the day of Pentecost, and we looked at, at that day and how with, with, with the sound of, of wind and tongues of fire and people speaking in other tongues, there were these signs, and the Holy Spirit came on the believers, and it, and it just rocked the city of Jerusalem. And then last week, we looked at Peter's sermon and how he concluded it and what he called people to do. And in fact, if you remember, we called last week's message And then what happened? Because it wasn't just this one experience of them experiencing the Holy Spirit, but it was what took place as a result. And so Peter preached this sermon, and as a result, Jesus was the focus, and people took notice, and the church began to thrive, and lives were changed. And for the next few weeks, we're going to look at at the last five or six verses of Acts chapter 2. 
And we're going to look at what it describes for us of the life of the church. Multiple times, and we'll see this as we go through the book of Acts, there are these times and places where after a a pretty important story, Luke will summarize kind of in general terms what's happening in the church. That's what we're going to see here in Acts chapter 2. And as we look at this, over the next couple of weeks, we're kind of look specifically at who the church is to be and how we're to live our role. As a part of the church, something bigger than ourselves, and be a part of what God has called us to. But today, I want to show you out of this passage three things we pray our church will be. Today, we're going to look at three things that we pray that our church will be. Maybe you're you're watching this on a screen, and Calvary's not your home church, or maybe you're visiting today, this isn't your home church, then, then I hope you'll pray these things for your church. But if you call Calvary your home church then I hope that the three things we'll talk about today will be things that if you aren't already, you'll begin to pray based on Acts chapter two for this church, for our church. Now, of course, there's there's more things that you can pray for your church that that are different from what we'll look at here today. If you you wanna pray that God will start helping your your pastor to look younger, I'd love it. That's great. You pray for that. That's cool. But we're gonna look at three out of this passage today. Start here, Acts chapter two, verse 41. Here's a little background. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a good church service, right? And we saw this last week. One service, 3,000 converts, not a bad day. In fact, some people might actually use the word revival to describe that. But one day's not enough. What happened was more than just today, you now have thousands of lives affected. You have thousands, literally, Scripture tells us, of new converts What does this group look like after the encounter they've had with the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 42. It goes on to say this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. For next few weeks, we're going to look at verses 42 through 47 and help us to see what Scripture says about some of the things that we see there and what the church should look like, who the church should be. But today, I want to start three things that I hope you'll pray for your church, and we're going to work backwards. We're going to start at the end of this passage, and you'll see why here hopefully in just a moment, and we're going to work our way backwards in the things that I hope you'll pray for the church. Here's the first one. Number one, we pray that Calvary will be a church of daily life change. We pray that Calvary will be a church of daily life change. This is one of the things that fascinates me about this passage, is that it says that people were being saved, that they were being added to the number of the church, that the church was growing daily, that every day they could see growth in the church. People's lives were changed, and the church grew every day. Now, this is important, because if you think about this, you've got these these followers of Jesus who all of a sudden now are in the public spotlight. They're preaching about him. They're talking about him. The Holy Spirit has come. Their message is spreading around Jerusalem, and something significant happens. You know, in the last, I don't know, say decade or so, the way that we shop has really changed for many of us. Instead of going to stores, for a lot of us, for a lot of things, when we want to buy it, we just go online, right? We go on a computer, we use an app, we do something, and it used to be that I would have to panic on Christmas Eve when I was buying gifts and go to a store. Now I can avoid the store and panic on December 22nd and hope for two-day shipping, right? (laughs) Never even have to leave my house. It's a beautiful thing. And the, The trick with this, though, is, and maybe you've had this happen, have you ever bought something online, you've only seen it on a screen, you buy something online, and then once it comes to your house, you go, mm, this isn't quite what I thought it was gonna be. Have you had that happen? Like open the package and you're like, oh, that's smaller than I thought it would be. Oh, that's, that's a whole lot cheaply made, more cheaply made than I thought it would be. Oh, that's trash. I wouldn't have bought this. Anybody? Have you had this happen? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, well, I didn't do that. That's why you read reviews in advance. And you read the reviews and you find out, does it work? Is this for me? Do people like it? If it says this is good, buy it. If it says it doesn't work, you probably shouldn't buy it, right? Because you read those reviews. All of a sudden now, this new product has come to Jerusalem. There's these disciples talking about Jesus. 
And as a result, as people are hearing this, they're hearing the reviews, they're hearing the stories, and when they hear it, they're seeing life change, and they're finding out, this thing works. These people's lives are being changed. And if it's happening for them, then I want it to happen for me too. And it says that on a daily basis, their lives were being changed. Acts 2, 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look, it works so much so that our lives should experience it at work every day. As a church, our our vision is real simple. The vision of Calvary Church is life change. It's our filter. It's what we use to describe who we want to be, and what we're going to do. The vision of Calvary Church is life change. You'll hear us say this from time to time. Our goal is not numbers, it's names. We want to hear stories of how God's word and God's power and the Holy Spirit at work is changing people's lives. And we use it as a filter that if lives aren't changed, then the things that we're doing aren't worth doing. We use life change as the guide. And years ago, I remember having these conversations with Pastor Bill and and some of our leaders at the time and saying, why is it that sometimes people will will come to church and they'll come to Christ and they'll have life change, but then it doesn't stick? Do you you remember the story Jesus tells about the the parable of the sower, how the sower goes out and sows seed and how some seed produces fruit and other seed does not? Do you remember that story? And we began to think, what is it that makes good soil? What is it that helps people to develop and mature and experience that life change over and over again in their lives. And this is what we discovered, that life change happens when we connect, grow, and serve together. Have you ever heard that before? Do you think you'll hear it another million times? Absolutely. Because we believe this, that life change happens when we connect, grow, and serve together. And you're going to see those things as we go through these these verses in Acts chapter 2. We want you to connect, grow, and serve here at Calvary so that you can experience life change. And and don't don't push this idea aside. Oftentimes when we hear the word change, we want to push it away. We, We want to think that change is a bad thing. Change can be a really good thing, can it? It can be a healthy thing, a helpful thing. I want to be healthier and stronger. I want to be wiser and smarter. I want to be better as a person, and that requires change. And when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it brings life change. Here's what we believe about this. We believe that life change is personal, that every individual, that every person can experience life change through Jesus Christ. Calvary's desire is that you'll develop in your faith, that your life will be better because of what God does in your life, and that affects you. It affects your home, your family, your work, your school, your relationships. It brings peace and joy in your life. And our our desire is that you'll experience, whether it's for the very first time in a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've been a follower of Christ for years and years and years, but still, when you come and interact with this body of believers, that you experience the life change that will only happen through Jesus Christ. We believe this. We know this. In fact, so much that and today, even, even just before I came up at the first service, I just got this real kind of conviction that for some of you, that's what you so deeply need today. I mean, I know it's summer, and, and I know it's a holiday weekend, and there's all those things, and yet there's something inside of you that's a burden, or it's a struggle, or there's anxiety, and what you need is to open up and say, God, I need your life change. I need your peace. I need your joy. And you know how I know this? Go back to the online reviews. I know this life change is available because I've had it, because I experienced today. Man, I was standing over there during, during worship in our first service today and just so burdened by something that I've been holding on to. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, as long as it's in your hands, you can't put it into mine. And I had to take it out of my hands and put it into his hands. And when I did, there was peace and there was a confidence that came because our hope is that you will experience life change through that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We believe life change is personal. And then when we experience that personal life change, here's what else we believe. We believe that life change is corporate, that there's something significant about the life change that we experience together as followers of Jesus. When we come together, something powerful happens. There is a corporate move of God that that takes place. I don't know about you, and, and this is maybe a little bit of a deficiency in my character, but honestly, a lot of times I just don't like to ask for help. Like, if, if there's a mess and I'm responsible for it, I feel like I got to clean it up. Like, if I've got a bunch of stuff that I got to move or put away or whatever, my natural response is to go, oh, no, I got this. I, I don't want to burden anybody or, or I, don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe I just don't want to be around you. I don't know what it is, but I just, don't, I just don't like to ask for help. 
And then somebody will come and go, hey, do you need help? My response is, do I look like I need help? To which they go, very much so. Right? And then they help you. And at the end of it, you're so glad they did. Because it took a fraction of the time. Oftentimes, they had better ideas about how to do something than you did because there's, there's something when you come together. You have more strength. You have more energy because you didn't have to use as much because you were better together. Does that make sense? The same is true of the church, that when we experience this corporate life change, it makes us better together. It makes us stronger. And many times, I want to be independent. I want to do it on my own. When the truth is, we are stronger, we need help, and this life change, we believe, is not just personal, but it's corporate. And then what happens is we believe life change is community, that it'll go outside of the church and into our community. Ultimately, that will impact the world. That's, that's why we talk about Serve Week. You're going to hear about Serve Week every, every week until it, until it happens because we really do believe there's something significant that happens when we do our best to serve others. So, so when it comes to, to Serve Week here at, at the end of July, we're going to have the opportunity to serve with an awesome local church here in our community. And have you ever found that usually when you serve someone else, you're the one who's blessed as a result of that? But then when we, when we serve... We're going to help to strengthen another local church, and we're going to show the community the love of Jesus Christ. And Scripture says that when we lift him up, he will draw people to himself. There's a powerful thing that's happening here, that when you serve, you impact the community, and you bring that life change. Now, rewind that. Think about what they said. We're going to pray that Calvary will be a place where life change happens daily. If life change is happening daily... That means over the course of the next year, we probably should hit at least 365 incidents of life change, right? Right? One year, three, three six, you're with me, right? Okay, right? So what, what if God wanted to do that? What if he wanted to work? And, and, and maybe, what if in his heart, and I'm not saying that this is what will happen, but what if in his heart it was that, that if we were being biblical, our average attendance as a church next July should be 365 more people than what it will be this July. Does that make sense? Do you know how it's going to happen? It's going to happen when you and I allow the life change that we've experienced to impact other people's lives. So we pray that Calvary will be a church where people experience life change daily. Here's the second thing. Number two, we pray that Calvary will be a church of miraculous experiences. We pray that Calvary will be a church of miraculous experiences experiences. As soon as we get done with chapter two, immediately when you hit chapter three, you're going to see a miracle. And what happens over and over again in the book of Acts is that where the church goes, where the people of God goes, there are supernatural things at work. Verse 43 of Acts two, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Where the church went, signs and wonders followed them. There were miraculous things that took place as a result of the church's presence and the Holy Spirit's activity in their lives. So we ask ourselves, what what does that mean? Well, a miracle is whenever God suspends the natural order of things and does something supernatural. A miracle is whenever God suspends the natural order of things and does something supernatural. In some ways... Just experiencing peace is a supernatural miracle. That peace can come when it doesn't make any sense. And God brings supernatural peace to a natural situation. Salvation is supernatural, isn't it? I mean, on our own, we're far from God. But when we come to Christ, that's a a miracle of salvation that takes place. But in a more practical sense, miracles are things like healings, divine protection. Have you ever had divine protection? Where you just know that shouldn't have gone like that. God was there and protected me. There's times when there's provision. I've known times in my life where where I've known that I didn't have the resource I needed, and in a miraculous way, God brought that as I trusted in him. There's unexplained things that happen in our lives from time to time, and you can call them coincidence. You can call them freaky. I like to call them miracles and know that God has intervened. Why does he do that? Why does God work in miraculous ways? One reason, I think, is God does miracles to bless people. He's a a good father, and as a good father, he likes to to bless us. If you're you're a good dad, you know that, that there's times a good parent where you just just want to do something that that blesses your your child. I borrowed one of my kids' cars the other day, and something got the best of me, and I pulled in the gas station and filled it up. That's their responsibility. 
What I noticed is they had my car at the same time, borrowed it. I got it back almost empty. Why? Because I'm a good, good father. It's who I am. It's who I am, right? But watch, what, is, what does God do? Remember the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus could have said, hey, just, just swing through the drive-thru on your way back from this meeting. Instead, he said, look, they're hungry. Let's get them something to eat. Do you remember the water into wine miracle, John chapter 2? I mean, that wasn't necessarily this great spiritual thing, but Jesus said, look, there's a celebration taking place here. Things are kind of falling off the rails. I can, I can help. I can do something here. I want to bless them. And, and that's not even talking about the healings. When blind people see, when lame people walk, when lepers are cleansed, when dead are brought back to life, God does miracles because he loves to bless his people. And that's a beautiful thing. But I think it goes, it goes far deeper than that. God also does miracles to bring him glory. God does miracles to bring him, God, glory. Do you, do you remember the story, John chapter 11, where Jesus' friend Lazarus dies? Do you remember that story? And, and, and it's several days before Jesus gets there, and he interacts with his sisters, Martha and Mary, and they're like, Lord, if you'd have been here, you could have healed him. He wouldn't have died. And he says, well, well take me to the tomb. So they get to the tomb, and Jesus says, Jesus says move the stone away. Open up the tomb. And, and Martha's like, Lord, you don't want to do that. He's been in there for days, and he, he didn't smell good going in, and he smells even worse now. He says, you don't want to do that. And watch what Jesus says. John chapter 11, verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. When miracles happen, God is given glory. We see the real source of life and strength and power. We are reminded of our frailty as individuals and the awesomeness of our God. And do you know why God does that? Do you think God does it because he has an ego? Do you think God wants us to bring him glory because he has a, a struggle with self-esteem? Poor guy struggles how he thinks about himself. Is that how it works? No, the reason we give him glory is not because he needs it, but because we need it. And when I give him glory, one, I'm created for that, so I'm fulfilled in doing that. But when I give him glory, it helps me to remember how things are supposed to be. The truth is that when I praise him, it puts my life in alignment. And oftentimes when, when I'm not thinking right or when things aren't right in my life, if I will give him glory, it helps things to get back in line in my thinking, in my life. We are blessed when God is glorified. So he does miracles because he wants to bless us. He does miracles to bring him glory. But ultimately, God does miracles to get our attention. The reason God works miracles is because he wants to get our attention. Do, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you realize you're talking and people aren't paying attention to you? Have you ever had that happen? Sometimes you like make a noise or you, you like throw something at them. I have a tendency, you know, just be kind of having a conversation with, with, with somebody in my family or whatever, you know, you just kind of have a conversation. You're like, yeah, and then this happened and that happened. And I wanted to tell you this, you need to know this and this is important. And you realize they're completely tuned out. And then I just go to something like, and then as I was driving home, I saw a bright light and it was a spaceship and I was abducted by aliens. And I, I just start going through this story until eventually they're like, what? It's like, I'm just trying to get your attention here. Listen to what I'm saying. Because what I want to share with you is really important, but you're going to miss it unless I have your attention. Listen to what John says at the end of his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, speaking of the miracles in the gospel of John, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Did Jesus work miracles to show off? No, he, he worked miracles so that he could get our attention. And then once he had our attention, then we could see him for who he is. And if we would believe in him, then we could have life. See, the point of the miraculous is so that people can come to know him for who he is and what he can do and experience his life. And here's what we believe as a Pentecostal church. We believe that the, the way that the Holy Spirit worked in the New Testament is the way that the Holy Spirit is still working today. Amen. And then if he did miracles then, he'll do miracles now, which, which is what excited me when I got this, uh, when I got this letter. See, see, because we believe that, that's why Wednesday night, if you were here for the, the last of the Spirit-filled life classes that we did, we took time to pray for healing because we believe that God still heals people. 
That's why in between every service, you, you can go to the Connection Center, and there's, there's a prayer team that's there, and they'll pray with you because we believe that when we pray, God hears, and he answers our prayers, and he can work miracles. And, then, and I got this letter this week from Carolyn. Let me read you what she said. She says, I was diagnosed with shingles on June 14th. And then she goes on to talk about the medicine that the doctor gave her, and she was concerned about this because one of the side effects that was listed was very bad and sometimes deadly kidney problems. Which is, an, which is an issue for her because two and a half years ago, she had to have a kidney removed because of cancer. She writes, the rash was spreading, but slowly. You know, shingles come with a rash, right? It's bad news. The rash was spreading, but slowly. The Lord reminded me early Sunday morning of the scripture in James 5 about the anointing with oil and the prayer of faith that will save the sick and the Lord will lift him up. So I went to the Connection Center where Jocelyn anointed me with oil and prayed for me after service on Sunday, June 18th. By Sunday evening, the rash looked lighter. By Monday morning, the rash was most definitely diminishing. Praise God. We have a God who heals. And she goes on to talk about the divine appointment that God gave to her and the way that he continued to show his healing, even in the midst of of tests with her kidneys. And it just shows this, that the God who worked miracles in the New Testament is still working miracles today. Which then, yeah, you can... can you crazy? Which then caused me to talk to two other people after first service when I read that who came to me and said in the last few weeks, they've also experienced a physical healing because somebody prayed with them after a service. We serve a God who is a miracle working God. And he works these miracles to get our attention and show us who he is. He has the power to do miracles. He's still doing this today. Do you believe he still has that power? Then we have to be willing and open to experience it in our lives. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Okay, pop quiz. Let's, let's see if you've been paying attention for the last six weeks or so, okay? Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and he said that if I go to the Father, I will send someone to you, and he said he would send thee... Holy Spirit, I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. And if the Holy Spirit is in us, then that power is available to us to see God do miracles in our lives. Get this. It is natural for God's people to experience the supernatural. It is natural for God's people to experience the supernatural. We just have to be open to it. I, I just, in between services, I looked at my phone and I got this little update from the weather app on my phone that said this, perfect summer day ahead. Can I get an amen? amen. Man, I'm all for that. What if, I, what if I stood in my living room, looked out the window, said, boy, it sure looks nice out there. It's the perfect summer day. It's a beautiful day out there. Sure would like to go out there. Sure is nice out there. That looks perfect. I'd like to go out there. But I never put my hand on the doorknob. I never open the door. I just stand at the window and go, oh, that sure would be nice. I sure would like to go out there. Many of us read the stories in scripture and we hear the things we talk about and say, boy, I sure would like God to work in my life. I sure wish God would, would do something in my heart. I sure wish God would use me in, in, in miraculous ways. And yet we never open the door to allow the Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. We just stay in the safety of what we know. What if we would open the door and say, God, would you do the miraculous in my life? God, would you, would you work in my life and through my life? God, would you be willing to do supernatural things? I, I want to be the kind of Christian where it's natural that supernatural things happen in my life. What if we prayed for that kind of church? Do you know what I think would happen if we prayed to be the kind of church where it was natural for supernatural things to happen? Not just in this room, but in our lives. You know what I think would happen? I think people's lives would be changed on a daily basis. That's what we're praying for. We pray that God would bring life change daily. We pray that we would experience supernatural things. And then here's the third thing. And and let's just be honest, this one's key. If this one doesn't happen, then none of the rest do. That's why we worked backwards, right? We we started with the result. Life's changed every day. And and we saw what happened as people were in awe at the signs and wonders. But none of this happens without this, this, this third one, which is the first one we read about. We pray that Calvary will be a church of devoted disciples. We pray that Calvary will be a church of devoted disciples. What does this word devoted mean? It means steadfast with a single-minded commitment. 
the believers, those that had experienced the, the Holy Spirit's presence on the day of Pentecost, those who had come to be believers in Christ, they were committed to God and to the church and to what God was doing and what God would do in their lives. What was it that they were devoted to? Look at this, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves, they committed themselves, that they were steadfast in the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It says that they were committed to learn from the scriptures, the teaching of the apostles, that they were committed to fellowship, their interaction with each other, that they were committed to breaking bread. How many of you are devoted to lunch today? I know I am, right? I like that one. And that they were committed to prayer. Now, in the weeks ahead, as we move forward, we're going we're to look in more detail about what this looks like in the church today. But there's two, two big areas that you see here. One is this, that believers are devoted to a relationship with God. If you've had an experience with Jesus Christ, if you've encountered his presence, then as a believer, believers are devoted to a relationship with God. And if, and if I'm honest with you, this is where we fall short a lot. Because I know a lot of people that have good feelings about God. Like, like you, you talk to them about God. Yeah, I believe in him. Yeah, I know he looks out to me. Yeah, yeah, whenever, whenever I have a problem, I know I can look up, and I know the big man upstairs is there taking care of me. And they talk about God with a lot of good feelings. And, and I don't mean to be the judge of anybody else, but sometimes I wonder, hey, you, you talk about him, but I'm not so sure that you really know him. I'm not so sure that you have a, a real relationship with him. See, these disciples had experienced something that had changed their life. And we'll get to this in a few weeks, but, but realize this. Grace without growth makes God just an acquaintance. If you have his grace, but you're not experiencing spiritual growth, and you say you have a relationship with him, then maybe you don't. Maybe he's just an acquaintance. If you're not making efforts to know him more, to be more like him, then maybe, maybe he's just an acquaintance to you. Like, you know people like this, like people that you, you go, well, I, I know them, but I don't, I don't really know them. I know about them, or I know of them, or I see them and say, hey, but, but I don't really know them. And I watch this happen in friendships. Oftentimes, I watch it happen in marriages, that people start with a relationship, but over time, they just, they just kind of get distanced. They, they, they spread apart. And they no longer have that, that intimacy, that relationship. And for many of us, I think the same thing happens with God, is that, that we want his grace. Like we want what he can give to us, but we don't grow in that relationship. And I don't know that we can really say that we're devoted at that point. Because if you have grace without growth, then you don't really have a relationship with God. He's, he's actually just an acquaintance. So believers are devoted to a relationship with God, and as a result of that, here's the second thing I think we see here, is that believers are devoted to a relationship with others. Not just our relationship with God, but what he does in our lives will spill over into our relationships with other people. Remember we talked a few minutes ago about the parable of the sower, where Jesus said that the, the word of God is like seed, and sometimes it falls into people's hearts, the soil of their hearts, and it grows, but then it either gets choked, or the soil's not good, and it doesn't really produce any fruit. Oftentimes, the reason that happens is because those, those roots never go down, and believers are never really devoted to a relationship with other followers of Jesus Christ. Conversion without connection is just a fad. If you, if you say you've been converted, that you've had an experience with Jesus, and that doesn't lead you to connect to other followers of Jesus Christ then what's happening in your life is probably something that's going to have a hard time lasting. It might feel really real for a moment, but it's going to become just a fad because if you have conversion without connection, and we'll get into this in, in a few weeks, it's just a fad. Why was it that these believers were so devoted to both God and to others? Go back to verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That they'd had an amazing experience. Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit, people's lives being changed. They found something. The light bulbs are coming off. There's life change that's happening. They'd had an amazing experience that, that you could call revival. Revival is a, a, a pretty loaded word, depending on your background and maybe even your faith tradition. You, maybe you've heard that word used in a lot of different ways. When I grew up, church I grew up in, if we use the word revival, it usually meant a, a special service. Anybody else? 
we're going to have us a revival service. You had to say it that way, revival. You say it like that. What that meant was we're going we're to have a special service with a lot of emotion. We're going to have an emotional experience. And emotional experiences are not bad. God has created us as emotional people. And oftentimes when we encounter him, we will have that response. True? But understand this. Revival, real revival, leads to tangible results, not just an emotional experience. If you've truly been revived by the Holy Spirit, if God has truly worked in your life, it's not just going to be this rush of emotion. It's going to make a change in your life. It may be that the best word we can use on a day like today is revolution. There will be such a change fundamentally at who you are and at what matters in your life that something new will happen. Revival without revolution is just hype. It's not real. It's not going to last. And for a lot of us, that's important to hear. Revival without revolution is just hype. Have you, um, have you ever known anybody who maybe did something dumb or they, they have a bad habit, or they made some bad choices, and then they say to you, honestly, I've changed. I'm really going to change. And you say to yourself, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Anybody? Has the person you've known that said that, have you ever seen them in the mirror? Anybody? Right? That's, that's me. How many times have I said to myself, oh, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm, I'm going to change. The truth is, real change, if you've really been changed, real change will lead to real change. It will lead to something new in your life. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, we won't be what we used to be. And this is critically important as we get to this passage of Scripture because we've talked about how God's sending the Holy Spirit. We've talked about how he comes into our lives. And now as a result, that means that when we come together as the church of Jesus Christ, something powerful is going to happen as a result. Know this, church is more than just a place you go. For so many people, when we think about church, we think of a place, we think of a group of people, we think of, and God wants us to know that church is more than just a place you go. In fact, look at what scripture says. Ephesians chapter three, verse 10. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Do you see what he said here? God said, I have a plan. I am gonna bring supernatural, ultimate spiritual victory, and I'm gonna do it through the church. Like what he wants to accomplish in this world, he's going to do through you and me. He's going to do it through his church. So know this, as we talk about this, this is not a call to a church, but to the church. This isn't a, hey, you need to sell your soul for Calvary. This is, are you committed to what God wants to do in your life as a part of the church of Jesus Christ? Because my fear is that we will read about the church, that we'll look at all this, we'll see this, and then not realize that it comes down to you and me being a part of what God wants to do. Know this, you can be curious and not be committed. Like You can, you can be curious about what's going on. Kind of say, oh, I want to I check this out. I want to know what Christianity is all about. Or I want to go to church and hear what they have to say there. You can be curious about this and still not be committed What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And for many of us, we're like, well, I'll check this out. Maybe I'll check that out. And and, and there's all kinds of truth. Maybe I'll I'll see what different truths are and I'll piece them all together. And Jesus says, look, you can be curious, but you're not committed. And then you're not really a part of the church. I also think you can be in routine and not be in relationship. Where you can be in this routine of going to church. It's on your to-do list for the weekend, Sunday morning, check, went to church, I did it, I was there. And you can be in this routine and still not be in relationship with God. I, I know that to be true because I've, I've been there. In fact, it's, it's kind of important for me to go to church. <laughs> right? I gotta go or my kids don't eat. And you can fall into that trap where I do this because I always do this and miss out on the fact that it's supposed to be based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can be fulfilled and not be faithful. Like there's something about hearing an encouraging word or about hearing truth that can cause you to be fulfilled 
And you can be fulfilled and still not be faithful. Like, like maybe for some of us, we come to church just because of the way that it makes us feel. Or maybe for some of us even, it's, it's a matter of that we, that we can tend to watch it on a screen, online or on TV. And, and that's our connection. And we feel good because we've heard a message and we feel good about this. But it's not changing us on the inside. And it's not enough to just feel fulfilled and feel good. God calls us to be faithful and live for him. Does this make sense? See, it's more than just where you go and how you feel. It's not just being curious or your routine or, or, or finding a way to be fulfilled. The truth is we are called to be devoted disciples. And when we do, he can supernaturally work through us and change the world. This, this message today, it's kind of an introduction to where we're going to go. But this is a call to devotion, not to a place, but to a person. It is a call to devotion to the person of Jesus Christ. And that as a result, being a faithful part of his church. And this is a call to devotion, not to a kingdom, but to a king. And that your allegiance is to Jesus Christ alone. And my hope is that as we go through this series, you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about being a part of his church and loving his church. And as a result, you will be a part of something that is bigger than you ever thought you could be. As we watch lives be changed. I remember when I was in high school, especially the first couple years of high school, I, I had these friends that were, oh, let's just be honest, they were cooler than I was. I just, it's not funny. I just wasn't very cool, all right? And so my hope was that if I hung out with them, I'd be cooler by osmosis. And one of the things that I observed about these guys is that it was a priority for them that they always had a girlfriend. Like, they hardly ever went more than a couple of days without having a girlfriend. And it was interesting. This was just a big deal. I don't know if it was a status thing or how they felt about, you know, whatever. But it was key that they always had a girlfriend. And as I watched from a distance, one of the things that I recognized was that oftentimes these guys would be more concerned about having a girlfriend than they were concerned about the girl. Like, it was all about, hey, hey, look who's with me. And I got somebody to hold my hand. And it was this idea of other people could see that I had this girlfriend. And I'm watching and going, boy, it was important for them to have a girlfriend. But they really didn't care a whole lot about the girl. The, the way that they treated her. The way that they thought about her. The priority that she was. It was important that he had her in his life. He just really didn't show her how important she was. Does that make sense? Man, I hope I never do that to the church. And I hope I never am in a place where I go, it's important that I have a church, but then I don't really care about the church. That I'm not really mindful of the church and what God wants to do in the church. I don't ever want to be so excited that I have a church that I failed to be the church and do what God has called us to do as devoted disciples who are in a place where God can miraculously work through us to impact his world and that others will see life change. You know, some sermons are sermons where, where at the end you, you want to stop and you want people to feel a certain way and, and maybe God has the opportunity to kind of touch people in, in, in the life. But this is the kind of sermon that, that we hear it and then it, it really doesn't begin to work until we get out of here. And we, and we start living it. We start living like the church. And I love it that I get to preach this in a place where I see the church in operation all the time where we hear stories of God doing supernatural things, where people's lives are being changed. And maybe the very best way for us to end a sermon about how to pray for the church would be for us to pray for the church. Agreed? Amen. So let's do that. Father, we come to you. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks that you've allowed us to be a part of a church, God, where you're doing exciting things, where you're working in people's lives. And Lord, you've led us. I, I believe for this moment, you've led us to these passages in the book of Acts. And so, Lord, we, we pray today about the church we long to be. Lord, we long to be a place where on a daily basis, you're changing lives through your people here at Calvary. Lord, that there would be stories that are being told in our atrium and in our auditoriums and in connect groups and grow groups as we interact with each other. God, about the way that you are allowing your Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives so that others are coming to know you. That you're changing our lives. God, we pray that this would be a church where the supernatural takes place. God, that we would consistently hear stories of healing and provision and protection. And that every time we'd know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that was God 
who is at work in our midst and that you would be glorified and that others would see and believe. And Father, this will only happen if we'll be devoted disciples. God, that we would be committed to you, not just as an acquaintance, but as someone that we live our lives in, in communication constantly with. That we would be devoted to one another. That those connections would make a difference for your kingdom. Father, help us not just to be curious or, or looking to be fulfilled or just, just checking off on our to-do list. But may we be the church in such a way that a revolution happens inside of our lives and inside of our church and in your community that people are touched and that lives are changed. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Thanks for your presence here with us today. We pray that you'd send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.